You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Today on the podcast, we have the lovely Brooke. Um, she is here to share her beautiful birth story with us. Um, she has had two beautiful babies and she's going to give us a brief a brief rundown of her first and then we're going to go into some depth with her second pregnancy and birth. So, hello Brooke. Hello. How you going? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so good to have you on. Um, do you want to start with who is in your family and what you do? Oh, sure. So <clears throat> um, I'm a mother of two beautiful kids um, and a wife to a lovely husband. Um, I'm a naturopath sort of specialising in um, unmedicalised pregnancy and birth. And that's, that's about it. That's wonderful. So unmedicalized pregnancy and birth. How yes. so do you want to explain um I guess briefly <laughs> your journey for like from your experience and how you ended up there? Yeah, sure. So um I guess being a naturopath, you know, fully trusting in um nature and the body um and no unnecessary intervention needed. Um, that's sort of how, you know, I did my first pregnancy to an extent, um, not to the extent I did my second, but, um, so with Jeddah, um, it was a conscious conception. Um, so Dane and I, we got married, had a honeymoon, fell pregnant, so very textbook, um, had a beautiful pregnancy. Um, but being a first time mum, I thought, you know, where do I start? I'm pregnant. What do I do? Um, and everyone's first step is just to go see a GP. So I did that, went to see my GP and I'd heard about um, the midwifery group practice at Gold Coast Hospital. So um, what they call a birth centre or birthing centre um, where it's just um, midwife led. So you have a midwife or, you know, a couple of midwives that see you through your whole pregnancy. You don't need to see an obstetrician. They do encourage natural birth. Um, and mother-led birth to an extent, which sounded ideal for me. So, so that's where we, yeah, that's where we started. Um, you know, saw my midwife every, I don't know, a few months, I think. And then, yeah, they gave me some advice on what to do when my labor started. And yeah, so that was all very exciting. I, yeah, I went to nearly 42 weeks gestation with Jeddah. Um, and from 40 weeks they were, um, <clears throat> I don't know if pressure is the right word, but they were definitely strongly suggesting induction, um, to which they would say, you know, come to an appointment, you need to speak to a doctor, you know, just to see what your options are. And I would always say, oh yeah, great. And then the appointment would come around and I'd say, oh, I'm just really busy and I can't make it. <laughs> um, and so I actually decided to um, get like acupuncture to almost, I guess, encourage um, the onset of labour, which looking back at it now, I don't think I would even do that again. Um, 
Yeah. So anyway, I got acupuncture and went into labor straight away, very gently. Um, contractions started, they were very softly, like soft and very enjoyable. And um, Dane and I were getting really excited. And then, you know, everything sort of slowly progressed um, overnight. Um, yeah. And then so <clears throat> we'll call my midwife. She would come, like she came, would come to my house, you know, overnight just to check and see how things are going on. And, you know, with not having had a baby before, you think <laughs> that um, the initial contractions are really quite intense and that you should be having a baby any minute. <laughs> Little do you know that it does progress quite substantially. Um, yeah, so she would come out and like suggest you know, um, vaginal exams, cervical exams and see to see how far I was dilated. So I just went along with it. I said, okay, um, you know, I did want to know where I was at and I, I did want to um, almost get to the hospital so I could settle in, um, but they like you to wait as long as possible. So, um, you know, she checked and, you know, I wasn't very far progressed, maybe like two centimetres. So she said, stay home, you know, wait it out, um, which I did. Um, you know, for another few hours and then she came out again and I, st- I still wasn't very progressed. Um, so she said, okay, wait till the morning. Do you know how, what out. numbers she was giving you at that stage? It would have been like two, two to four. I can't remember. There was, it's it a wasn't very enough. accurate, like way to measure. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not even like, that's, Yeah. <laughs> We had some kind of misreadings up at the hospital anyway. And that, and looking back at that now, that was another reason that I don't want to, I didn't want to go through that again. Like it was mm. irrelevant, <clears throat> you know, and all it did was mess with my head, you know. So, um, yeah, she just said wait till morning. But one of the things that she did, and I know it's very similar to do like a, an exam where they're checking how dilated you are and also a stretch and sweep to sort of move labour along, but... Pretty sure she did a stretch and sweep while she was in there without my consent. Um, And what that did, which a lot of women, I didn't know this could even happen, but um, just separating those membranes created like a, my body was just kept trying to heal them. And I kept creating this, and it sounds disgusting, but like bloody mucus. So it was like I kind of had my period the whole whole rest of the time I was in. So that made me feel you know, a bit uncomfortable when I got to the hospital. I didn't feel like I could, you know, f- bleed freely and kept having to change pads and things like that. So that was one thing that I didn't want to experience again. And anyway, went up to the hospital. Um, I really wanted to have a water birth and, you know, I felt like I was in a lot of pain with the contractions. I wanted to get in um, and sort of ease some of that and have a bit of a break because I'd been up all night, you know, contractions were steady. They wouldn't let me get in the pool. <laughs> um, and they said I had to wait till I was you know, more dilated, um, you know, so I, I went, you know, as far as I could and then um, he was really exhausted and Kashia, you were there, Kashia was my birth photographer um, and she, it was lovely having her there, she was a real advocate for me. Um, as I said, I remember saying, I remember crying and saying, I just want to get in the pool, I just want to get in the water and he said, just do it. <laughs> tell them to fill the bath now and get in and so that's what I did yeah so I got a, you know a little bit of a break but you know it was all this <clears throat> negotiation and you know they would you know pop the Doppler onto my stomach every 15 minutes to check the baby's heart rate so that just 
disturbed me. Yeah, I was having to, you know, um, almost argue for what I wanted um, really strongly. There was almost an element in the room. Sorry to interject. All right. <laughs> Cut you off. But it did feel like there was an element in the room of first time mum, she doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so yep. there's, yeah, there's that that follows you along and it was, it's, it was frustrating to watch from yeah. an outside perspective, but yeah. I can only imagine what it was like yeah. when you're feeling it. Yeah. yeah. You know, we know better than you in this moment. And you kind of believe that, you mm. know, not having, you know, any experience in the area. Um, I think that's just because, not. you know, for a midwife, they've seen a million births and they've mm. seen everything. So they think that they know how you're going to birth because mm. analytically or statistically there's, they think here's a chance for something bad to happen. Yeah. Whereas it's like. They're also told yeah. over and over again that you, like now you're a professional in birth. The woman birthing isn't a professional. You're the professional in birth, mm. right? So there's yeah. a little bit of that Take hierarchical. control of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. Not dissing on all midwives. I know a lot of you <laughs> and you're very beautiful humans. <laughs> yeah, and they are and, you know, they're lovely. Um, and they're doing the best what they think is best to, you know, sort of support you. Um, but it's just the way that they're educated and the um, facility that they work in. They're bound by, you know, a lot of rules and a lot of procedures. And if they don't follow those procedures and something happens, uh, it's their fault, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's what they think. Um, yeah, so I do empathise with them, you know. And, you know, I, I'm, yeah, sort of glad I had that experience because it sort of pushed me into really thinking about what I wanted for birth and going down a different avenue next time. Um, um, just really quickly um, mm. before we go down a, a different path, do you want to finish up? So yeah. you were in the bath and yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. And then, you know, and it, it was great. I got the break that I needed, but you know, things, contractions and things did slow down, but I really got that just, I remember being in there and just, you know, being able to laugh and you know, just feeling good and, you know, the the pain subsided for quite a while. I got I got the break that I needed and, yeah, so I, I hopped out because I was in there for two hours and, again, that's another rule, that's all they allow. So I hopped out and just continued to labour around the room and, you know, by this stage it had been going on for so long that they got some doctors involved and, um, you know, they said, they gave me options. They said, okay, so you can go home <laughs> if you want. <laughs> And labour at home. So I was half an hour away from home and, um, you know, I'd been at the hospital for so long. I was like, oh, no, they're like we can induce you, like further induce you. We can give you some Pitocin. Um, or oh, I can't remember what the next option was. But um, anyway, we just said, uh, Dane and I just said, everyone out of the room, we need some time to talk. And, yeah, so anyway, we, dis- we discussed like that we weren't going to take any of those options. Um, and then Dane left the room to talk to the midwife. Um, and once I was all alone, that was it. <laughs> you know, I just, contraction started and, you know, I started, you know, kind of roaring with them and Dane and the midwife were outside the doors going, is that Brooke? Like, is that, like, I think, you know, things are happening. So that was it. You know, when I was undisturbed, like, mm. I was that speaks ready volumes, to let go. Mm. I think... Um, <laughs> There was a moment there where, because I was part of that conversation and 
I think it was the third time that I'd come to the hospital to photograph you. Yep. <laughs> and I had little Rue on me and uh, we knew that I wouldn't be able to stay much longer. Yeah. And the midwife had taken Dane out and I'm like, oh, I think I need to hear this conversation because I was mm. trying to keep Rue asleep. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and she was like, look, she's only four centimetres. Like, we mm. need to start talking about this. And, you know, she looked at me and she's like, it's not going to happen for a while. And I was like, oh. And I think we'd had the discussion already that if that was the case because Rue was only, I think, what, six or seven weeks old or something like that, mm. it, like I, I'd have to go home. Yeah. And so I left and I think I'm about 40 minutes later she had your baby. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it was – yeah, about – so, yeah, I think it was – yeah, so that all happened at about 6 o'clock. Jetta was born at 10 to 9. So, yeah, it was about three, nearly three hours later. That yeah, you know, okay. things progress, but then another yeah another thing. So finally, I was at the stage where you know the surges were coming. My body was pushing um, on its own, and they said, "Great, Brooke, you can finally hop in the water." I'm like, <laughs> yeah, finally got in on the next surge. Meconium came out, and that Brooke get out of the water. <laughs> so mind you, I've got this head in my pelvis, and I'm walking from A to B, and you know, just mm. like <laughs> unpleasant. Um, yeah, and anyway, so I hopped up on the the hospital bed on my hands and knees. I didn't know it at the time, but strategically they had placed me facing the wall so I couldn't see what was in the room behind me. Because there was meconium in the waters, they had a massive team of people come in just in case, you know, anything went wrong. So little did I, I'm in this really vulnerable position. I'm facing the wall, about to give birth to my baby, there's like 10 strangers in the room. Um, yeah, and then everything went fine, you know. Um, Cheddar was birthed beautifully, really slowly, as is her personality. Um, yeah, there was no issues with, you know, um, aspirated meconium or, you know, anything like that. So, um, yeah, that was, that was that. But another, you know, thing that I didn't want to experience again was being in a vulnerable position like that. And, you know, a lot of people just observing me, you know, it's really um, an uneasy feeling. So, yeah. Um, and to finish it off, uh, after I'd birthed Jetta's placenta on the toilet, I'd actually hemorrhaged. So, yeah, lost a lot of blood. Um, as I went to stand up after birthing the placenta, I remember saying to the midwife, my arms just feel really heavy. And she just looked at me and said, pass me a baby. So I did and then I fainted. Um, it must have only been a few minutes but that was another, you know, sort of what they, you know, deemed an emergency. So it was all hands on deck again and, you know, Bubs wasn't in my arms which, you know, I didn't like. She was with Dad so that was, I think I was like, don't let anyone touch her or take her away from you. Um, yeah, so they just helped me back to the bed. Um, yeah, and then... Yeah, everyone sort of, you know, mm. got together, you know, sort of cleaned up everything and, you know, once all their tasks were done, they sort of left us in the room, Dane, myself and Jedi, and we all, you know, slept um, for a little while and she was on my chest and that was really beautiful and, yeah, ended up staying overnight so I just wanted to check my bloods that they weren't too low, haemoglobin and things. So, yeah, so that, <laughs> that was that. <laughs> An experience. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, yeah. Oh, no, you know, it wasn't awful. It was just not what I wanted for 
my birth experience, you know, where women, we're, we only give birth a certain number of times in our lives and you want it to be how you want it to be, mm. you know, not controlled by other people and not like what you want being compromised. Mm. Mm. And it's hard because like all those midwives, they just see that and they don't probably understand that a lot of the things that go wrong are attributed to the fact that there is so much going on in in that space. And so, you know, they're not always advocating for birthing at home or unassisted or Mm. just you do you, your baby's going to do the thing that it needs to do and you 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 will too. Yeah. So it's hard, eh? Yeah, it is. You mm. see so many pathologized births because you're in that state. You're in the environment. That's you're obviously not seeing, what's going to happen. Yeah, you're not seeing natural births in a natural yeah. environment. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear about <laughs> birth number two then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we get into it? Yes, we'd love to hear okay. it. Okay, so. Oh, for the record, I was also at this one almost. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so having gone through all of that, there were things that I didn't want to experience again. So this time, you know, I really thought I was always tossing up with the idea of like having two kids and I having three kids. I'm not sure. But if this is my last child, if this is my last birth, it's going to be on my terms and it's going to be exactly how I want it to be. And I didn't want anyone else analysing me and, you know, looking at, you know, my blood tests or, you know, my baby inside my tummy and telling me, you know, what everything should be like. And um, so I made the decision to step outside of the medical system and do my own prenatal care. Um, You know, fortunately I can do that given the background of knowledge that I have, you know, being trained as a naturopath, um, which I know is not available to a lot of people and that's I guess what makes it a little bit more confronting. So I felt really confident Um, I knew how to monitor my blood pressure, my blood sugar. Um, I knew the signs of iron deficiency, you know, all the things like that. Um, Yeah, so I did my own prenatal care, um, got – I recruited a midwife who was very comfortable with me wanting to do that Um, and she just said, you know what, I'm here if you need me, which was perfect. So, yeah, she was really lovely and supportive. Um, I had – a moment of weakness at around 20 weeks where I thought I wanted to get a scan you know I was doubting myself and I thought oh I should check then everything's okay and to the point where I asked her to write a referral and she did so I was one step away from going like booking this ultrasound and getting it done and I just got the strongest feeling of don't do it (laughs) don't do it and it was I think it was my son saying don't do this mom we got this, you know. So I ended up just, yeah, forgetting about it and, and not doing it. And how did you feel um, pregnancy-wise? Because, um, I mean, you didn't have too much monitoring during your first pregnancy anyway. But how did you feel going from your first to your second pregnancy? Was there was there extra doubt? Was there, uh, were you thinking back to your first pregnancy where, you know, oh, they were testing this and this, should I be looking at those things now too? Like, was there any of that cross-examination? Not really. No, not really. I, you know, it's not a decision you make lightly um, not, not getting this medical care. It comes, you know, from a place of really deep, deep trust in yourself as a human being 
your body and doing what, you know, it, it was designed to do. Um, and then also a place of allowing, you know, things that aren't ideal, you know, allowing for, you know, baby not growing properly and, you know, potentially losing baby in the womb um, or, you know, being born with abnormalities or heart conditions or, you know, there are things that do happen, of course. But, you know, you have to be okay with these things happening um, in order to make a decision like this. So, you know, I thought about it a lot um, and I was okay with whatever, you know, if, if, if anything was going to be picked up in a scan, what would I have done anyway, you know? There's, I, I, me personally, it's not everyone's decision, but I wouldn't have given up my baby, you know. I would have followed through with everything. So what's a scan going to do is just going to cause me stress. You know, worrying what, you know, my baby's life might be like or, yeah. So I got right with all of those considerations and I really felt comfortable with, you know, whatever happens is meant to happen and I had a deep trust for, you know, what the universe had in store for me on this journey and, you know, I knew that I had, you know, family and support around me that I could cope with, you know, potentially um, things not going well. But I didn't dwell on it. There's, I didn't dwell yeah. on it. I just accepted it. You know, I didn't worry. There was no worry. You know, I had a great pregnancy and a happy pregnancy, um, a stress-free pregnancy. You felt good throughout the pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt good throughout the pregnancy. You know, you got the normal things like heartburn and, um, yeah, but that was about it. A bit of back pain, you know, but everything else, yeah, was fine. There was, If there was ever a doubt in my mind that I thought, okay, things – feel a bit strange um you know things don't feel like they're going you know right yeah I would have investigated it for Mm. sure for sure um I I'm not you know anti anything (laughs) you know I'm not defiant of the medical system and don't have you know any personal issues with the medical system it's just that that I didn't want to have that experience I think it's very natural too that once we've had one baby Oh, maybe you you learned this beforehand, but you realise that it's not – it doesn't need to be medicalised. No. And as soon as you see that it, it – it, oh, this is a process like conceiving a child, like any other human bodily function yeah. that we don't need medical assistance to perform, yeah. that's – yeah, that that's where I was at anyway. Yeah. And then as soon as you kind of wrap your head around that, it's like, okay, so yeah. when when it feels like it's not just a normal bodily, like human bodily function, yeah. well, then that's when I would probably go and seek yeah. medical I help. I totally relate to that too. I intended to not have any scan or anything for my last baby and um, I was in such debilitating like pain. I'd never had a headache like that, like a migraine before and I couldn't stand up. And I felt, I just felt like there was something in me that I was like, there's something not right. And I have to deviate here because I'm losing sleep over it. Just worried and feeling like there's something that's not right. It's just, you know. So I totally, I think that's a really good place to be. Like if you want to take this full responsibility and Mm. go down that path that the stubbornness to not deviate Mm. is just not necessary. And it's not a benefit sometimes. Mm. No, mm-hmm. no, mm. yeah. So continue. Sorry, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have to out to be sense every second. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um yeah so yeah great great pregnancy I knew oh one thing I did do at the start was a um, pregnancy test so I did that (laughs) (laughs) because my period not coming wasn't enough (laughs) I think I had some leftover um so I thought you know and it's it is exciting to know that there's another being coming into the world so yeah we did the pregnancy test um yeah and, and that was it but yeah so I knew um you know obviously my gestation there was a part of me you know, when Dane and I were obviously intimate before I had my period back, um, you know, I might, might not know the gestation, um, but, you know, I was okay with that anyway. Um, but I do, I did, I knew my, my gestation. So um, I think we went along to um, 40 plus six, 40 plus five um, before Talon decided to come. But yeah, in the lead up to that, we actually had a beautiful time and <laughs> have COVID to thank for that because they where we live on the border of Queensland and New South Wales. I live in New South Wales. My husband works in Queensland. So he was unable to cross the border. They had a hard lockdown. So before Talon was born, we had this beautiful week of just like just sunshine and perfect weather and we were just all together as a family, you know, really soaking that up as a family of three before our son came along. Yeah, so every, that was all beautiful. And then you know, with the second, there's there's a lot of sensations in the womb um, in preparation. So there was quite a few days, I think a week leading up to where I thought, oh my gosh, this is the day, this is the day. <laughs> Getting so excited. I probably messaged you a couple you of did. times this year going, <laughs> I think the baby might be coming. But anyway, um, yeah, it's just my womb getting ready. Um, and then, yeah, on the, the night or well, very early morning before Talon came, lost my mucus plug. So then I was like, okay you know, things happening, like this is exciting and, um, yeah, got up about three o'clock in the morning and Dane woke up too so we had that, you know, little giggle and excitement together and we lit some candles, we put on my, you know, my labour soundtrack and um, just sort of walked around the house. Like, but it was just such a beautiful time. Like, honestly, I felt like I was just floating. Like I honestly felt like I was just floating around the house in this like dim light with these drums beating in the background and, you know, everything that I wanted, like I wasn't under fluoro. It's like I didn't have a Doppler stuck in my tummy, you know. I didn't, you know, I wasn't monitored. And no one looking at me like with their little checklist saying, is she this, is she that, you know, how far along are we? You know, it was just, yeah, it was, yeah, it was just beautiful just to have that freedom to just do what I wanted. So, yeah, so really enjoyed that. Anyway, our daughter woke up and Dane took her to the park, I think. Yeah, just let me have that time at home. And I remember just, um, I think I made, yeah, like a, um, like a warm drink, a tea or something and just went and sat out on our deck in the sun. I remember just having the sun on my tummy and then the, just the sensations coming and just like really like relishing in them. Like just feel like it was so different to Jetta's. With, with Jetta's contractions, I felt like they were painful, you know, and like, yeah. And then with Talons, like my second one, I just felt like, I don't know, they were like a tight hug, <laughs> you know, it was like a really comforting like sensation anyway. So I was just, you know, really enjoying that and um, Dane and Jetta got home and um, yeah, I was just sort of pacing around the house. No one really bothered me. They sort of kept to themselves, you know, unless it was like, can I get you anything, drink of water, some food, whatever. And, you know, I'd say yes or no. And yeah, and then it got time for Jetta to have a sleep. So Dane put her to sleep in the room and then I think that was like the um, 
comfort that I sort of needed. Like, you know, all my ducks were in a row, you know, everything was like taken care of. And yeah, that's when I think I threw up. So <laughs> I knew that things were going to start happening. Um, yeah. And then I think I made myself a cup of raspberry leaf tea and then, yeah. And yeah. So then sensations sort of coming, started coming a bit more intensely. I remember just sort of walking in circles around the table and then I'd have a sensation and I'd brace myself on the table. Um, and then instead of like bracing myself for the pain, I went with a contraction more so and like almost like let go, let down my pelvic floor. And I felt like that was like, you know, I was just, I was listening to my intuition, you know, like, um, and I felt like that was the thing that with Jetta's birth and why, why it took so long is like, you know, I told myself like, um, you know, be strong, like bear this pain, like be, and so when a contraction would come, it just like be strong, you know, like, whereas this one, I'd be soft, you know? So yeah, that was like a big difference in, in their births. So yeah. And, um, yeah, obviously things progressed and I got my first, um, like pushing sensation where my body was, you know, taking over, my uterus was taking over and there was like a bear down sensation. I think that's when I told Dane to message you because she was probably a bit too late. Um, Mm. Yeah, so I had that, um, made my way to the bathroom where we had everything set up Um, and, yeah, and I think I was just standing there, you know, in front of the mirror, you know, bracing myself sort of on the, the sink on the bench and my waters broke and... Yeah, that was that was kind of the last um, thing that had happened that I, where I could stand. And after that, I was like, "All right, hands and knees now. Like, there's no getting up. You know, things are happening fast." And yeah, so my yeah, my body just started pushing, and it was intense. Like, it was intense, but it wasn't. It was enjoyable. You know, like you girls would know of having kids. Like, it's like such an intense rush of power and you it's like feel. a primal force that you just oh, super love human. and hate at the same time it's yeah. like you welcome it but you're waiting for it to stop yeah 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 I just felt like I felt so I felt so powerful like how can the body conjure this much power like I felt like I was magic mm. you know <laughs> you were magic <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing I remember saying to Dana was like on hands and knees I was you know breathing quite quite fast and quite deeply and I just said water with a straw because <laughs> <laughs> my mouth was so dry <laughs> there was no way I was getting off my hands to hold a cup <laughs> that's that can like that's considerable forethought I'm really impressed with that <laughs> <sighs> so um yeah and then that was it it was like I said today I think the baby's coming like, I felt the head drop into the pelvis um, Just um, for time's sake, so I was in the car on the way to you, like like flying, I was <laughs> flying. and it was so good that it was COVID because there was no other cars on the road, thank yep. God. And um, yeah, I think I was about 15 minutes away yeah. or something when I got the, her waters just broke. I was like, you really oh. left it late. <laughs> you would have been, yeah, you would have been so close. So close. Yep. Anyway. Um, yeah, so yeah. And then, um, 
yeah, just birth. One funny sort of thing that happened was so, yeah, in the lead up, you know, while I was pregnant with Helen, we obviously decided to get educated about, you know, um, birthing unassisted and what can go wrong and things to be mindful of. And I remember saying to Dane, one thing that you need to know <clears throat> and identify is if there's cord prolapse. So that's when the umbilical cord comes out before the head. And so if the head pushes on that, it can occlude the blood flow, which is, you know, a bit of an emergency. Um, so I said to Dane, just be mindful of that. If you feel like you see an umbilical cord, like, you know, let me know and we'll transfer. Um, yeah, so anyway, I was like, I think the head's coming and what can you see? He's like, I think I see the cord. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he has no idea what he's looking for, by the way. <laughs> he's like, what does the cord look like? <laughs> Did you not give him a Google picture? <laughs> Far I out, woman. <laughs> It was Talon's squashed little head. Oh, <laughs> oh the wrinkly little really? part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like a bit of a hiccup in the. And I just said we had, you know, obviously we had a midwife and we also had a beautiful doula, but she, she was supposed to be there, um, but she couldn't make it because COVID. She was in Queensland, borders shut down. So I just said call her, and so anyway, she was on the phone with us while Talon was emerging, and. Um, yeah, anyway, so it turned out to just be the head. So <laughs> not the cord. <laughs> not the cord. So his head came out. Um, yeah, beautifully. And then with the next sensation, the rest of his body came out. And, you know, Dane caught him. And um, yeah, so Dane was, I think, looking back now, just focused on what gender the baby was gonna be because he goes <laughs> He just yelled, it's a boy, it's a boy, it's a boy. And then, you know, passed talents through my legs. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my baby boy. You know, got him in my arms and looked down and realised like, oh, hang on. There are some things going on here that look different. So Talon had a lump under his left sort of armpit and it, it looked it looked like it had sort of two chambers and my first thought was it looks like a heart and I was thinking, has his heart formed outside of his chest? And then, you know, I looked down his arm, his left arm and his little pinky finger was really swollen. I was like, this is odd, you know, this, you know, this is odd but, you know, obviously looking over my baby like like mums do um, and just seeing like he was crying, he was breathing, he was you know, beautiful and pink, covered in burnix. And, yeah, so I said to Dane, so this – Dane didn't notice any of this. This is why I was thinking he's just focused on typical boy. <laughs> um, and then so, to, yeah, Dane sort of joined me, you know, in observing and um, I think our doula was still on the phone. She said, send me a picture. So we took a photo of Talon, sent it to her and she goes, yeah, I think, guys, it's time to get some assistance. And we agreed. We didn't know what we were looking at. <clears throat> um, so Dane called an ambulance and I think they came within like 15 or 20 minutes. It might have been around the same time that you got there, Kashia. Yeah, they yeah. they were there just before me. Mm-hmm. So, mm. And then our neighbours, we messaged our neighbours to come and look after Jeddah for us while we were sorting all this out. So we had a few people in the house. I had bobs in my arms. You know, obviously the paramedics, you know, looked over him. They didn't you know, couldn't say what was going on, but just, yeah, that we had to get to hospital. I wasn't panicking at all. I didn't think there was a need to really panic. You know, I didn't get a feeling that this was, you know, a real emergency. And 
you know, I was also getting um, sensations of um, um, we get contractions like the placenta was wanting to come. So I just said, you know, everyone chill out. I remember the paramedic, I don't know if you remember this cashier, but he was like had his hand on my back and he was like pushing me towards the door. And I just had to look at him and, you know, take control of the situation. And I said, don't touch me. Don't touch me. <laughs> everyone just needs to just chill out. You know, I feel like the placenta's coming. Like, can we just take a, take a beat? You know, so um, we did, I went and sat on the toilet to try and um, make way with the placenta, but it wasn't ready. So we bundled up. So here's me, starkers, baby in my arms, umbilical cord. I just remember the umbilical cord being so long that it was like just like <laughs> between my legs, like hitting my knees. <laughs> and I got my baby on my chest. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a long cord. <laughs> <laughs> Go me. <laughs> and anyway, so was it still attached? Or yeah. how did you guys? Yeah. Still attached. Yeah, yeah. Still attached. Wow, that's long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still attached. Thankfully. Um, yeah, so oh, just, uh, you know, I was starkers. Um, they just wrapped me up in some blankets. It was, you know, two o'clock in the day, I think. So I'm like, you know, ambulance out front of my house and bundled into the back of it um, with Talon. Yeah, and then and so, yeah, just held him in my arms. He nursed, you know, he latched straight away as soon as he was born and um, so everything, everything was really going really well, apart from these few lumps and bumps that we didn't know what they were. So, you know, had to transfer hospital, get it investigated. So we went to Tweed Hospital. Yeah. And then, you know, as soon as you sort of bust through those doors, it's, um, you know, all systems go. There's doctors, there's nurses, there's everyone working really fast to, you know, to figure out what's going on. So there was, I feel like there's a lot of chaos around me, but, you know, I was just in my bubble with talent and that's sort of all that mattered. And then, you know, people started approaching me. I think the midwife said, okay, Brooke, it's time. We need to separate talent because we need to examine him. So we cut the umbilical cord and he went up on the one of the little tables for the doctors to have a look over, which is never nice. Um... I went and they said, do you want to try and, you know, birth the placenta? So I did that, went and went to the bathroom, did that um, while they were looking over Talon. Um, yeah, I think I had a quick shower and then that was it. I was, you know, up being like a um, natural health professional myself. So just thinking, you know, what needs to happen next, like very methodical, like very – yeah, like switched on and attentive. So, um, you know, the doctors were straight away, oh, you know, we should do antibiotics because there was meconium in the waters. Um, you know, you can't breastfeed him. We don't know if that's his stomach, you know, things like this. So things that, you know, I had to process and make decisions on. So I let the doctor know that I had Talon had already nursed and um, that I was declining um, antibiotics. So I just said, you know, thank you for your concern, um, but can we just wait and we'll monitor for signs of infection? Um, and if he presents with fever or anything that suggests that there might be an infection, then we can proceed with antibiotics then. So they didn't like that, but they said okay because that's all they can say. So... Yeah, and then there were things like um, 
uh, vitamin K injections. No decline. You know, there's no need at, at this stage that I'm not concerned. He hasn't sustained any trauma. There's going to be no issues with um, bleeding. Um, yeah, so there was that. Uh, yeah, so just faced with, yeah, a lot of decisions, um, vaccination, hepatitis C shots, no declined. Um, thank you again for your concern, but I'm going to decline that one. Yeah, so that was that. Um, they they popped a tube down Talon's throat just to verify um, that his stomach was in the right place and everything, yeah, was was good. So I finally got to hold my baby and... Yeah, and then it was just um, they weren't really equipped to um, diagnose, like if do further investigations and diagnose um, Talon's condition at Tweed Hospital. So we had to transfer up to Queensland Children's Hospital in Brisbane. Can, can I ask a question? Yeah. Did they confirm that it wasn't his heart or like anything, yeah. that, like any major organs that had grown out of his body well, quite quickly? or I don't know if they could confirm major organs. They could confirm the heart because I guess with a stethoscope mm-hmm. they could listen and see that it was in the right place in the chest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, in terms of, you know, any other like major organs, just MRI. Okay. Yeah. So that they didn't they didn't have those facilities at Tweed. So, yeah, we were, went up to Brisbane. Um, I spent 10 nights up there, which was a journey of its own. And me, like, just going into battle for my child, you know, like, um, defending him and making sure that he wasn't getting anything, um, unnecessarily, um, that was going to perhaps lead to more health complications down the track. So, yeah, um... What was the just like? Why did they think that it was? Why, why did you have to stay for ten days? Like, how were they? Were you like in Niku? Were they treating yeah. this as like a like a potential big threat? Yeah, yeah. And they it were. took ten days for them. Yeah, yep. So they, well, I think it's like the maybe the scheduling of the MRI um, that probably led to that. Mm-hmm. Like how long? Because because we weren't really an emergency case, you know, we would be scheduled for an MRI, but something more important would come up. So we just kept mm. getting pushed back. Um, yeah, but yeah, he was in the neonatal intensive care unit, um, which I'd heard about, but I'd never experienced this. And so I was really shocked that they encourage mothers to leave mm. that place. Mm-hmm. I could not fathom for the life of me, mm-hmm. what benefit that would have for, you know, I mean, I know when there's an emergency, people need to move fast and if there's, you know, other people in the way, that, that was the only thing I could think of. But I was not going anywhere, you know. I was staying with my baby like, yeah, and they do, they, do, they make it really uncomfortable for mums mm-hmm. to stay. There's nowhere to rest. You just have these little chairs. And once they knew that I wasn't going anywhere, a really lovely nurse got me a recliner chair from somewhere I don't know where she pulled it from but she got it for me and I yeah just sat there with Talon and held him you know can we um could you share with our audience how big Talon was oh yeah (laughs) um he was 4.6 kilos what yeah he was huge it was 10 pounds something I can't remember what the equivalent nearly five kilo baby yeah four and a half kilos yeah yeah he's a big boy and he's still a big boy 
<laughs> that kid oh has not stopped gosh. growing. I know. You look at him in comparison to Poet and you'd never know that they're going to be in the same year. Oh, well, Similar? No. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's like, what, four months between Poet mm. and I've Talent. Been, yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's as big as Rue. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's huge. <laughs> He's a big boy. He's a big bruiser. Yeah. And just to quickly interject, like when you saw him at birth, like when I saw him, I obviously didn't, wasn't privy to the situation. I just got there and the ambulance were there and I was like, what, like what's going on? And I saw him and you were feeding him and I looked at him and he's looking at you and he's breathing and he's mm. pink and he was huge and he was just... He would have looked so funny in Niku because so, yeah. typically yeah. they're like preemie babies in there. He's this like huge, healthy... He wouldn't have even fit. Did he have to... Did he have to go... <laughs> <laughs> they, they, the nurses kept saying to me like, I don't think Talon has to be here, mm. you know, yeah. like and then apparently like when he cried, like they kept saying like, He's got a big boy cry. He does not have a newborn cry. Like, yeah. <laughs> it is intense. Oh, my God. But he's so, just such a healthy – like, apart from this one thing, yeah. he was so healthy. Like, yeah. he, there was nothing about him that didn't look perfect yeah. at yeah. all. So I felt the same way. Yeah. yeah so Wow. It's so doctor. interesting because they're obviously um, – and we were talking about this before, like there's – it seems like because I've had two babies in that position mm. unplanned and I didn't realise until the second baby that it's – there's a checklist mm. and they approach all the babies that come through with the same checklist. Yep. Be it, they're like totally different scenarios and yep. I just felt like that was such an injustice to the future health of our children. They just yep. – you know, born and they want to pump them with antibiotics. They want to pump them with vaccines. They want to do everything on the checklist before they've actually looked at the baby and even listened to the mother and how the baby was, you know, they wanted to do all that for for my babies before they'd even listened to how the baby came out or like what happened or any testing or anything. And I just feel like that's a thing. And I queried um, some of the doctors about it and they, and they, even they were uncomfortable like yeah it's just just what we have to do and I'm like and no one's decided to like mm. say no or mm. like say this isn't right. Reassess yeah. if this is yeah. like if you can look at a baby and be like they're pink they're feeding they're crying they're breathing their heart is beating like there's a connection with the mom they're alert like there's like there's there's, it's basically nil. the Apgar test. Yeah. Like surely then if there's a little bit of chunkiness on the chest, and I, this is coming from someone who totally doesn't have any qualifications to say any of this, but <laughs> except for the fact that I have four babies. Um, but like in the case of Talon, and then when I saw Banjo, because Banjo was a big chunker too, like there's like surely as a professional, you can look at that child and be like, I've seen a sick baby and I've seen a healthy baby. Mm. And that child doesn't fall into the well, sick. They always category. say, and so all the my all of my experience were almost like a script. Like they say the same thing, and I'm like, this is really familiar, but they're different situations here. And the thing that they always go with is, your baby probably has sepsis, and if you don't do this right now, your baby's going to die. Mm-hmm. We know, we see it all the time. Like this happens. It's you know. Like it's as if every baby that comes in other than yours has died on the bed of <laughs> sepsis. And I'm not being, um, you know, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen and I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm just saying that it seems like 
there's a checklist but no consideration to what's actually happening in front of them and that comes at a cost to the baby's health Mm. and kind of sets them up for a bit of trouble later on Mm -hmm. and yeah it'd be nice if we could all realize how common that is and kind of have the power within us to say next time well actually no yeah can we not (laughs) you know it's just a protocol that they're going through to cover their asses essentially you know like they are trying to treat things before they occur whether or not they're going to occur just so they don't occur you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like they'll be like let's just give antibiotics because um, you know, in a couple of days' time, if this baby comes down with an infection and then my boss reviews what I did and I didn't give the antibiotics, you know, my job's on the line. So mm. everyone's just, I think, trying to protect themselves. I mean, there are some that are trying to be heroes, don't get me wrong. There are some very, like, you know, arrogant and opinionated um, medical professionals um, that will treat you like you don't know what you're talking about and you're being negligent. Mm. But if you prepare yourself with the information prior to you know if you prepare for worst case scenario and yeah you do have to you know go up to the hospital and have these conversations then you know you know what to say yeah when they because ultimately they're going to do everything that they can on this checklist if you okay it so Mm. the more information you have beforehand um you know the better so you can negotiate and you know, for instance, uh, they wanted to give Talon the vitamin K injection. Um, so initially I said no at Tweed. Then when we got up to Brisbane again, they told me that his clotting factors were a little bit abnormal. So they said we need to give him the injection. I said, well, can we opt for oral drops? Mm. You know, because I know that vitamin K is synthesized within the digestive system. And, you know, that's another more natural way for that to happen. And they didn't like it. Remember that I did that looking too. at me like I was such a negligent mother. And they gave the drops and it worked, mm. you know. So, um, yeah, you just have to be You have to really go with informed. your arsenal and know what you... Yeah. I think what, um, what really was so impressive to behold in your situation, Brooke, and I obviously can't speak to yours, mm. Chloe, because you didn't invite me, but... <laughs> <laughs> No oh. crap. <laughs> She's holding this against me. I can feel it. I just know it. You Next day, have I didn't invite her to my births and she really does hold it against me. <laughs> Not forever, just for now. Um, <laughs> but what I did witness was something so powerful and it was that you and Dane stood in such a centred place Every decision you made, and I don't know what was going on internally for you, but from the external perspective, every decision you made seemed to come from a really balanced place. You weighed up your options, mm. you stood in your power and mm. you stood strong and you were so calm mm. and kind in your delivery, which mm. I think was received really well. Mm. I've had experiences in hospital with Humphrey and um, – my decisions came from a very irrational, emotional place. Like there was still, I was still weighing up the benefits, mm-hmm. but my delivery wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain, it's a, it's a yeah. highly charged environment. Yeah. Like your baby is and potentially they do. really sick. You yeah. know, like you as a mother, you're their primary carer. You, you're making these decisions and 
if people aren't listening to you properly, it's frustrating. It is. And yeah. but you didn't let that waver you. And when they use words like neglect, mm. like you're neglecting, mm. your baby's gonna die, mm. all of this stuff that is really emotionally charging. And mm. I was in there. I remember being in, like in my position, which I didn't have the newborn, but I was like, like all these words would just build inside me. And I'm like, how does any woman not look like an insane, crazy mm-hmm. person? Yeah. Because you're pulling it out of them using this kind of language. And I was so impressed and took it on board to see you, eat, like you'd just given birth and it was perfect and it was beautiful and everything happened textbook Mm. and you came into this space and you like almost carried that energy with you and yeah just you and Dane like I left that and I was just telling everyone like they are the best (laughs) parents I want them to parent me they are amazing I don't even know what I just saw but I'm changed forever by it Mm. there is there's a level of graciousness that you you do need to take to those environments because mm-hmm. it will work in your favours. I personally struggled with that. I remember them sitting in the neonatal ward with my 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 fourth baby and they're like, it's time to really have this conversation about the vitamin K injection. And I was like, okay, give me your best and give me your best info that you've got on it. Mm-hmm. And they gave me their little printout and it was the worst information that I'd ever read about mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And I kind of presented back with them with my arsenal and I was like well how about this and oh no no well this is just the information that we get like this is what we've made and I'm like listen don't come back around here Mm. don't come back in my little space Mm. okay Mm. and one of the nurses wrote natural mum on the whiteboard (laughs) and they never came back (laughs) wow Mm. Wow. But she was for me. She was like, I, I know what kind of mother you are and I'm here, you know, like okay. I hear, I see you. Nice. She wrote it on the board, I think, to deter people from pissing me off because they <laughs> knew it wasn't going to go down. Yeah. Like it was almost like a warning, like don't go near her. She knows something and she's going to be challenging. Oh, well, that's but good. I definitely didn't deliver it with the grace that <laughs> I could have. And I feel like if, you know, you're in the position where you're going to take this responsibility and birth unassisted at home and you do need to transfer and you've got, everything that you need to know or you think you need to know Mm -hmm. I just really think that that's the best way to go about it like Mm -hmm. deliver it with that grace and you know and be prepared for the slander be prepared Mm -hmm. for the sideways looks be prepared for the judgment because these people can be and I don't want to pigeonhole them myself because I'm just doing what they're doing but you know they can be small-minded not open-minded opinionated arrogant judgmental you know and you just have to be prepared for that and you have to not get on that level yourself Mm. you know you just have to you know if they ask you a question maybe just take take a deep breath and go you know okay and you know if you don't know what to say say I want to make a decision based on informed consent can you please give me the pros the cons and the alternatives and then I'll make my decision. That's a beautiful way to put it. That's yeah. Everyone should just write that down and have it in their write arsenal. Write that down. Take it with you. Forever, no not even just for birth. Like yeah. if you ever need to go into the medical exactly. system, just to be able to, yeah, stay, like you, you've you got to stay centred if you ask that question. Mm. Like you, it almost just brings you back in mm. from really emotional situations. Mm. So, no, that, thank you for that. That's ah, can, we, can we know what was the problem in the end? Yeah. So, well, okay. 
So they did give us a diagnosis and it was based on genetic testing. So Talon has a PIK3CA genetic, and I don't like using the word mutation, but that's the only word that they have for it. So um, basically there's like, there's little switches on our genes and they can be on and off. They can be activated or not activated. Talon's is activated. So it's like hyperactive. So it creates, so the PIK3CA gene is responsible for, you know, the growth of, um, you know, tissue. Um, so Talon's actual growth is just a lymphatic tissue overgrowth. Is it so, still present? Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. So on his chest, um, so when he was born, you know, newborns are very quite swollen. There's like a lot of fluid in there. So when he was born, it was quite big and present. But, you know, over the next few weeks, I think around, you know, about eight weeks, it had gone down. So, so yeah, it's still there. You can still see you know, there is a lump there, um, mm. but it's a lot smaller. So, yeah, so that was good. But he's still – so basically the condition w- – one of the conditions that's been labelled as is KTS, so Klippel Trenaune Syndrome, named after the medical professionals who kind of um, – Coined it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically – because it's a syndrome, every case presents differently and, um, yeah, there's just a collection of – you know, signs and symptoms basically, but it's just, um, so it involves like blood vessels, um, lymphatic vessels and capillaries and there's just like a bit of an overgrowth or they don't form, you know, the way they're supposed to and they're, um, you know, like a bit not straight, they're sort of, you know, a bit sort of twisted. Convid- and convoluted. Yeah, yeah, that might be the word. So, yeah, so Talon's, he... His official diagnosis was that, or I think it said on the actual medical report, like, you know, possibility that this is likely what it is. Since then we've spoken to his haematologists and he said, I don't think Talon has that. I think he just has pick 3 ca overgrowth syndrome. So it's one of those super, super rare maybe. things. Well, And that's a thing yeah. as well. And, like, you know, when something like this happens to your child, and especially someone, you know, with my background, I was like, why? Why did this happen? Mm. You know, and you go through all the phases. What did I do wrong? Did I do something wrong in my prenatal care? Could I have done something differently? You know, and that's all part of it. Um, And I feel like just letting go of all that and then just surrendering to like. Well, it's interesting because you had that overwhelming sensation during your um, 20 week mm. gestation mm-hmm. where you were going to go and get that scan and yep. obviously had you have gotten that scan and they picked up that growth your pregnancy birth and you know and beyond the cast would have looked different it would have looked a lot different because I'm have. guessing they would have wanted to get that baby out pretty quick yep um and do you agree. have you spoken to anyone about what it would have looked like I, had you I haven't I want to mm. um it wasn't a conversation that I really wanted to get into, you know, at the hospital and, you know, things like that because it was hard enough saying because they, every doctor asked me, was this picked up, you know, prenatally in a scan? <laughs> and to say like, you know, I didn't have any scans, like, you know, pretty much they they pigeon-told me. Like, so I, I live in Kujin, which is, you know, half an hour away from Byron Bay, but they had me <laughs> pinned as this, hippie woman from Byron Bay because everyone kept asking me oh so you're from Byron Bay I'm like no I'm not (laughs) I'm Um, from the Gold Coast more (laughs) yeah yeah so um 
Yeah, so even just having those conversations, I could feel myself getting pigeonholed. You know, mm. I could I could almost like hear what they were thinking. Um, yeah, so I didn't want to have those conversations. I'm like, so if I did get a scan and this was picked up, what would you suggest? Mm. Like, you know, but I can guarantee you there's – I wouldn't have been able to carry him to term because, you know, he was a big baby anyway and they rarely let women birth big, you know, 10-pound babies naturally these days. So he was over 10-pound and he had a – growth you know and then yeah if they saw that on the scan they would have been throwing around words like tumor and you know and for me to have Mm. to deal with that from like halfway in my pregnancy you know like is my baby going to survive you know like oh that would have been so traumatic imagine that 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 would have been really really hard to Mm. yeah so and like I just want to be super extreme here like if someone there are also people that wouldn't have been that potentially might not have even you know like felt comfortable going ahead with their pregnancy I know this is sound extreme yeah. but like yeah because it's all just a guess and they're like yeah. well your we baby don't know. yeah your, your baby, baby could probably can't survive you yeah, know those like, kind of things yeah. it looks like it's yeah. on the heart the heart looks it looks like it, yeah. they're probably not gonna exactly and talent is thriving like mm. he, nothing holds that kid back. Like he is so full of life and just so much fun and just growing beautifully. And yeah, so I mean, mm. apart from like aesthetics of you know, he's still got his like his swollen pinky. <laughs> he's still got his little lump on his chest, but like he is just a normal, healthy kid. And so. he's super gentle too. Like yeah, he's just a mm. big gentle giant. Yes, I love he him. <laughs> yeah, he's gorgeous. So. So, yeah, I think that I made the right decision by listening Mm. really strongly to my intuition and giving him the best start in life, you know. Like they probably would have advised a caesarean, um, you know, which means he wouldn't have been inoculated with the uh, microflora. Um, You know, he would have had, you know, immune, it would have been immune compromised, like digestive system would have been compromised, Um, yeah, it would have looked very differently if I had entered the medical system and trusted their advice, I think. Yeah. So or been coerced into. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, there would have been a lot of fear yeah. based mongering. I, think. I remember mm. just speaking of that, that just triggered a memory from Jeddah's birth of after I had my hemorrhage, the doctor came down and said they wanted to give me Pitocin you know, to clamp down the uterus and stop the bleeding. I said, can someone just cut off a piece of my placenta so I can put it in my cheek? <laughs> that would have been like, oh, dear. <laughs> this barren baby is back. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and no one was really listening to me about it. I pretty much had to yell it out. It was like, my placenta's right there. I can see it. Like, can someone just break a piece off? You just rip it with your teeth. Like, anyway, she did pressure me into getting the Pitocin injection because she said, and these were her words, if you want to be a good mother <gasps> to your baby, you will get this. Oh, my God. And I was like, does she really think I'm going to lose that much blood that I might die? You know, like it was scary. Or be a bad mother. <laughs> <laughs> or worse, yeah. be a bad mother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's really so sad. I, said, I actually feel really sad to hear that. Yeah, mm. and then so I was pressured into getting that and – after that, there was a jumble up of natural hormonal mm. processes that a mother goes through because looking back on it now and having had everything progress naturally in the natural cascade, 
there was a disconnect between the bonding of Jetta and I. Like, don't get me wrong, I loved this baby. I loved her, loved having this baby, but there was definitely this um gap in like the bonding, mm. you know, like, and it was because of that artificial Pitocin and my body had to process that. My number it, it messed up the natural flow, like the natural cascade, and mm. yeah. So it's you know, I think are, that's a really important point because yeah. the natural cascade doesn't stop when the baby comes out. No. Like it's continuing so on for yeah, you know, weeks, and there months, is a years. Big, um, connection between women who have had, you know, either um, induction or you know postpartum hemorrhage and pitocin to stop the bleeding with. Um, postnatal depression Mm. you know there's like this like obviously postnatal depression there's a component where I don't feel connected to my baby you know and if women just realize like maybe it's because your body's still trying to process interfered with yeah Yeah. exactly so yeah yes yes so outside of the medical system absolutely beautiful there came a point where I did need to rely on the medical system and I w- was so thankful that the facilities were there to give us the answers that we needed. Mm. Um, everyone did treat me with respect. No one disrespected me um, at Alan's birth, which was great. I could see the looks on their faces but no one actually, you know, mm. um, said anything. So, you know, that was that was great. Um yeah, so, I mean, like I said, I'm not anti these institutions. Like, I'm not. I just don't think that birth needs to be in it when everything, when mm-hmm. it does, you know, there are, you know, medical emergencies and emergencies in birth. Yes. Yes, hospital might be the place where you need to go to get the help that you need, mm. you know. Um, but general Physiological birth, for me, birth like, does it need to be there? Yeah. Mm. I just, I say to people, would you take your dog to the vet to have her pups? You know, <laughs> we don't need to go. They just do it. Yeah. You mm. set them up a nice little cosy, quiet yeah. area in the back of the house exactly. and got them to do their thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm thankful that it was there. But, um, yeah, I, I'm grateful for the experience that I got to have um, being outside of it. You know, I felt with my labour, like my labour, it was just such a different labour. I felt so connected to the energy of the earth while I was labouring. You know, you don't get that in an artificial environment. Mm. And I wish for every woman to be able to experience that. Mm. You know, it's just incredible. It's just life. It's mm. a life. It's the pulse of life and you are connected to it when you're in that realm of mm-hmm. bringing life into this world and it is so special. It is um, so special. Is that kind of how you got into that niche of your yeah. career? Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So, so... Yeah, stepping outside of the medical system, you don't have to be on your own. You know, there are other people that support that. And if you have, you know, not everyone knows how to take their blood pressure. Not everyone knows how to check their blood sugar. If these are things that, you know, you might want to check out without having someone go, oh, well, you should also be getting this and you should also be getting that. And, you know, you're not doing all the right things. You know, they're I was like, because I was like, who can I go to anyone if I have these questions and I want help? Like, yeah, I could do it myself, but there was just no one really to go to. Mm. So I was like, I want to be that person. Mm. I want to be, you know, if you want to step outside the medical system, but you still want to be, you know, cared for, 
I'll do it. <laughs> I'll help support you, you know. Yeah. So, Just so beautiful. And, that you know, there's more and more women going down that path, mm-hmm. you know. Cause we are in a season or a time of reconnecting to that mm. and just trusting ourselves. Yeah. And, yeah, it's really nice to see that there are people stepping into the role of, you know, those wise women mm. um, care roles. Because, you know, like as much as I think birthing mm. um, in your home is a really beautiful thing and but I also think that being nurtured and yeah. having wise women around yeah. is just as incredibly oh, absolutely. important yeah. Um, yeah yeah so yeah. yeah and then when you can find people that are aligned with the same things as you they're the ones that you want there mm-hmm. you know what I mean because like, it directly impacts your outcome yeah like if you've got someone telling you that you've got a five percent chance of birthing vaginally Mm. I don't even know why you probably that's you know that neurology you take it and suddenly you're you yeah preparing for an emergency c-section yeah Mm. so I think that's really important too yeah well um thank you Brooke so much for coming in and sharing that story with us these these Mm. stories are so so valuable it's so valuable and we need to hear all of them I think yeah and all the different outcomes and things that can happen and yeah this information is going to be so valuable to so many people so thank you so much for that thank you so much for having me and you know listening to me and yeah seeing the value in sharing these stories together yeah and also just well done for being a general god goddess it's uh <laughs> speak for yourself lady <laughs> <laughs> i wish i was composed oh. as you <laughs> Yeah, you I definitely have an energy about you that's like, come to me. Oh. <laughs> just like, you just yes. hold it. Like, you, yeah, oh, there's no guys. like wavering. You're very, you're oh. a force to be reckoned with, wow. my love. My head is about to swell out of your headphones. <laughs> <laughs> we'll end it <laughs> there you. then. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.